Suffering, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Just ripped it. Posting it right away because I thought it was a very high quality conversation. And we got a lot of episodes in the docket. Uh, I sat down with the co-founders of Snappa, Chris Gimmer and Mark Schwinnard, to talk about their recent decision to allocate some of their uh, business treasury to uh, to Bitcoin. Uh, a lot of talk about Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy's allocation of Bitcoin has been going around the last couple of weeks. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to sit down with a couple of small business owners uh, and talk about why they allocated to Bitcoin, how they came to the decision, how they bought, built the small business, excuse me, and a bunch of other things. So you guys are really going to like this episode. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App is helping us do many things. They're helping us stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because you can make sats the standard in the app. We're no longer stacking uh, or buying fractions of a Bitcoin. We're stacking sats, whole sats. Uh, on top of this, you can DCA into sats. If you want to set it and forget it, you can buy sats daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Set it and forget it. Ease in dollar cost average into sats uh, while you just sit there and go about your day. On top of that, they have Cash App Investing, which lets you stack livers of stonks. If you're into equities, if you're into stock investing, Cash App is allowing you to get exposure to stocks as well. And on top of that, you don't have to buy a whole stock. Again, you can buy a sliver of a stonk as little as $1. Uh, on top of this, they have their Boost program, uh, which is a personalized debit card connected to your Cash App. You go to Partner Merchants, uh, you, you initiate the Boost, you shop there, you save a little bit of money, and then you can stack sats with it. Uh, Top of this, this is all connected to your bank accounts. There's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start stacking sats, delivering stonks, and using the Boost program today. I should mention the Cash App Investing is a, a subsidiary of Square, member SIPC. And as always, make sure you use the code stacking sats. It's S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls the Cross. That's Owls the Cross. Download the Cash App, use the code Stacking Sats, get your $10, and enjoy this episode. Uh, again, like I said, we have a lot of episodes in the dock in the coming week, so make sure you subscribe to Tales from the Crypt on your local podcasting platform. Uh, if you're liking what we're putting out, if you're picking up what we're putting down, why don't you give us a review? Rate, review, share. Uh, it seems like enthusiasm around Bitcoin is continually growing, and we want to make sure that people are getting the best information possible, and uh, any rate, review, five-star review, uh, that you freaks contribute helps us get better uh, visibility to people looking to learn about Bitcoin. Enjoy. The key. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on the back deck. It's be beautiful day. It's starting to warm up again. It's been very cold where I am uh, the last couple of weeks, so I'm happy to be outside in the afternoon, shorts and a t-shirt, 
Uh, about to jump into a very interesting conversation. Everybody in the Bitcoin world has been horny over Michael Saylor <laughs> from MicroStrategy uh, over the last few weeks. He's been hitting the podcast circuit, but there are other people allocating some of their cash reserves to Bitcoin in the business world. And I'm sitting down with two of those gentlemen, the co-founders of Snappa HQ, Chris Gimmer and Mark Schwinnard. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you for being here again. Uh, like I was saying right before we hit record, there's a sliding scale of individuals and businesses that can allocate to Bitcoin specifically. Everybody's been focused on Michael Saylor over the last couple of weeks, but you guys actually announced before MicroStrategy, I believe, or maybe between the first buy and the second buy, uh, that you have allocated uh, some of your treasury reserve from Snappa HQ to Bitcoin. And uh, Chris, you wrote an incredible piece sort of documenting uh, how you came to the conclusion uh, to, to allocate some of your funds to Bitcoin and some informational uh, materials for people looking to learn more. I thought that was an incredible piece. But first, before we dive into the investment thesis behind why you guys made this decision, what, what is Snap HQ? How does a a small tech company uh, come to number one, develop a treasury that uh, has enough cash to allocate to Bitcoin, and then two, why were you guys even thinking about Bitcoin if it's not your core competency? Yeah, so Snappa is basically an online graphic design tool for non-designers. So it's mainly used by uh, small business owners, uh, marketers uh, to create uh, usually marketing related graphics for social media, uh, content marketing, uh, display ads, all that kind of stuff. Um, Mark and I bootstrapped the company, um, so we never raised any outside funding. So we never had, um, you know, intense pressure to grow at all costs and, and reinvest every single dollar back into the business. Uh, so we've been fortunate enough to build a, a sustainable and profitable uh, business. And um, within you know the last year or two, especially, uh, we, we've grown pretty well, as, uh, especially with, with COVID, we saw a pretty big uh, acceleration in our growth. Um, and so we kind of found ourselves in the fortunate position of having quite a bit of cash um, on the balance sheet. Um, and we, we like to be a bit conservative, so we, we definitely reinvest some of, some of that cash back into the business. Um, but, you know, we definitely like to uh, maintain some of that cash on, on the balance sheet to either save for a rainy day or, you know, m make sure that uh, we have more than enough for the future. And then suddenly <laughs> um, we, we um, kind of came to the similar conclusion of, of, of Michael Saylor, which is uh, we're, we're basically making zero interest on the cash on our balance sheet. Um, inflation is going through the roof, despite what the CPI reading is, is telling us. Um, and we, after, you know, doing a lot of research, we, we uh, feel that Bitcoin, um, was, was the best way to, uh, you know, maintain the purchasing power of, of the cash on our balance sheet. Yeah. So how big is Snappa? What's your, your body count, head count, excuse me, not body count. You're not killing people. You have a head count. <laughs> yeah, we're we're seven people full time, and then we we work with a couple uh, freelancers and contractors as well. Yeah, it's um, it's the way to do it. So I actually Great American Mining, the company I work for outside the podcast and newsletter, we're actually uh, funded by another company that's bootstrapped by sell ads, probably similar to what you guys do. They're focused on uh, it's an ad tech company, basically creating a a white label uh, service that publishers can use to get advertising on their sites but 
the mentality behind BSA, and which has been brought to GAM as well as Bootstrap, uh, run lean and, and grow at all costs. Before we get into the Bitcoin thing, I'm actually really interested to um, to learn more about your Bootstrap process, why you decide to Bootstrap instead of seek out VC funds, because it seems, to me at least, having more experience with companies that have Bootstrap to be a better long, long-term strategy. Yeah, um, it's a good question. So, you know, Mark, uh, it, it's funny because we actually did kind of look into raising money at, at one point. Um, and, you know, Mark created like the first version of Snappa. And it's interesting because a lot of venture capitalists want to see like traction and, and progress. So we found ourselves at the point where we actually had some good traction and, and some good progress. And we were like, you know, what, what's the point of raising money at this point when we have, we have, you know, customers and get traction. And, uh, you know, we just felt that uh, I think maintaining the control and, and being in, uh, our own destiny, um, was very attractive to us. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of trade-offs when you do raise, you know, as soon as you're taking investor money, you basically have the mandate to grow at all costs and, you know, they want you to become that home run. And so we've seen in, in our space where, you know, sometimes a business could do really well at five, $10 million a year. Uh, but that's considered a failure if you're raise, if you're raising venture capital. Um, whereas if you're, you know, a bootstrap founder and you're making five, $10 million a year with, you know, a 10 person team, like that's a phenomenal, uh, living. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add there, Mark. Yeah, I mean, really, it comes down to a few. I think Gimmer touched on a, a few points there. Um, you know, we took a look at also like what kind of lifestyle we want to live. Um, you know, are we are we going into this into this business to try and work on uh, uh, slide decks to raise money, uh, or are we working on this to create a, a valuable product for our customers and, and build a good living for ourselves as well as our as our employees? Um, so two very different, uh, ways to look at things. I think the other thing too, is you're seeing now more and more, um, of these kind of failure stories with the VC backed businesses and a lot of confessions from, from founders saying they wish they had bootstrapped or they wish they had done something smaller. Uh, so really, I mean, we started back in, in 2015, uh, really during, you know, one of the biggest, if, well, it still is one of the biggest hype cycles of, of VC funding. Um, but I mean, we decided to go against the grain and just do it ourselves. Um, as soon as we started, you know, seeing re revenue come in, uh, as Chris stated, uh, you know, we kind of knew, uh, this is the path we wanted to go down. We grew the business slowly, steadily, uh, for the future to make it sustainable for us for, for the long term. Yeah. And just one last thing or one last point is like, you know, we're, we're not like you know, super anti VC at all costs. I think no. uh, if you're, you know, a company like Stripe or, or <clears throat> Shopify and you're just on this like insane to raise venture capital, then by all means. Um, but we just want to push back on the narrative that you have to raise venture capital, otherwise you can't build a business. Um, and so I, I think the, the best way to go about it is try to bootstrap as, as far as you can. And if it does make sense and you're on a rocket ship, then go for it. Uh, but otherwise, you know, try to delay uh, as much as possible. Yeah, I like to add to that, too, in the sense that, um, you know, it all depends on what industry you're in, like, especially with Snap and what we've created, right? It's just a, a very easy to use graphic design tool. 
Um, you know, we were fortunate to enough to get in early in the space um, and, and have the technical knowledge on how to build this thing. And so it worked out for us. But this might not work out if you're, you're let's say, in the, uh, the, the finance space or, or some other space which needs a lot of funding to get started. Um, you know, automotive or, or some sort of hardware product, right? Uh, so it really, it really does depend, but for us, it's, it's worked out. There is this, I think there's this weird, uh, mental blocker that people have, especially with tech digital products where it's like, ah, you need to serve the world. Uh, but building a niche company in the digital age is possible. Like you guys are evidence of that. And I, I like to think what we're doing here at the podcast, the newsletter is, is an example of that too. We have, we have two people, arguably three, a web dev contractor. We're a very profitable business, and uh, people seem to want to go hit those unicorn home runs, and not realizing like, hey, you can build a very small digital business, whether it be a graphic design product or a small little media company, and and make a lifestyle. And that's uh, that's uh, something that a lot of people don't realize. And I sort of stumbled into it. I'm like, whoa, this is uh, this is pretty cool. I can sustain myself on a little operation that I can completely control and. And so bring it back to avoiding VC money and bootstrapping, like how much more control do you guys have over what you do compared to your competitors? Would you say? Um, well, quite a bit, I guess, because we don't have a board of directors. So, uh, um, I mean, really it's, you know, the, the direction of the company is whatever Mark and I feel is best. And so, like I was alluding to before, um, you know, we, we want to look after our employees, we want to look after ourselves, and we want to look after our customers. Um, so kind of every decision that we make is to try to balance uh, the three of those those things together. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's no one really telling us uh, a certain direction that we need to go in. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's it, really. It, it does give us a, a tremendous amount of freedom on what we do with the company. Um, we can take it any which way we'd like to. Uh, we can create additional products under the business without having, you know, needing permission from outside, outside people. Uh, like quite literally, it's just between myself and Gimmer. Uh, and to give us a little bit of backstory, like you know, we we're really like we're best friends, and we're you know we we met or we met kind of what year was it again? Twenty, probably like 2011, 2011 or something. Yeah, like that. probably twenty eleven. Yeah. So yeah. we have a long history together. We've worked together before. And uh, anyway, it's worked to our benefit. Yeah, similar to how Bitcoin is fuck you money, bootstrapping is fuck you roadmap, where it's like, hey, we can do whatever we want. Uh, For sure. <laughs> so, so what were you guys doing before Snappa? Um, <laughs> the, Wait, here we go. <laughs> the, uh, the, complete, the complete opposite of what we're doing now, which is working for, yeah. for the federal government. Oh, really? Um, Yes. Yeah. Uh, so my, my background's in like finance and accounting. So I was, uh, I was working as like a controller in, in the government. Um, and then one day, uh, this kid shows up, uh, in the office as a temp employee and pretty much everyone in the office was like a lot older, a lot older than us. So, you know, we kind of clicked right away and, and became friends. And around this time, um, for me personally, I was just getting like really tired of the, the day-to-day grind and started reading a lot more about you know online businesses and listening to podcasts and reading blog posts and stuff 
And so when I found out that Mark was a, a programmer on the side, we just started scheming of how to get the hell out of there and start our own business. And I have to add that we've had many failed projects before we are, where we uh, ended up today. So this is, uh, this is a great little love story we have here. And Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I always wrote, joke, he's my, uh, he's my work wife. How, uh, yeah. What were some of the failed projects you guys worked on? Do we go all the way back to Classmate Cat? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Um, I think the very first idea was a, uh, a dating website exclusive uh, to students. So you had to have a, a university or college email address to sign up. Um, obviously, we had no idea what the fuck we were doing there. Uh, you know, and we thought this was going to go to the moon. You know, we, you know, I think at that point we saw, uh, you know, Facebook's meteoric rise and we thought, oh my gosh, this is the next best thing. Uh, completely oblivious to, to how this whole world works, right? So that failed. Um, what else was there? The next step was, I think we got we had into like a web guest, design. Yeah, we had like a guest list system for nightclubs. Um, yeah. And that, that the lesson there is like, don't ever build something that people just aren't going to use. Um, if they're, if they're using paper and pad to manage their guest list, yeah. probably going to keep doing that. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, we, we did web design and development for a little while. Um, yeah. and then our, our first real foray into actually having revenue is was, was bootstrap Bay. Uh, bootstrap Bay was a, uh, let me backtrack the bootstrap is a CSS framework. So Bootstrap Bay was a marketplace where um, uh, people who would create Bootstrap themes could upload them and sell them on the marketplace. So it was a two-sided marketplace, which we operated. Um, and I mean, that did okay for what it was. Uh, it was really like our first kind of, like I said, foray into, into gathering revenue. And from there, I mean, I'll let Gimmer take the reins here, because from there, really, we really discovered the power of SEO and how it can really drive um, uh, the business going forward. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing led to another, um, we kind of just built off that base, um, and right started ranking for a lot of content and eventually we ended up launching a stock photo site. Um, and which is funny cause we're using carbon ads, uh, okay. which was owned by buy sell ads. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, that ended up leading to Snappa because we discovered that there was uh, a need for, you know, a graphic design tool that kind of, uh, integrated with the free stock library and, and just made it easy. So um, the first couple of projects, like we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. And then we kind of started learning this stuff and, um, you know, learning how to actually do marketing and SEO and uh, how to do customer development and, you know, build things that people want and that are willing to pay for. Um, so, you know, we fortunately learned our, you know, parlay that into some, some success. Yeah. That's a fascinating story. And it's a, it's a really a testament to grinding out. You said you started this journey maybe 2011, 2012, uh, and you're at a point where you're allocating to Bitcoin in 2020. So an eight-year journey, is that a correct assumption? Yeah, so Classmate Catch, we launched in 2012. So that was like really the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then Bootstrap A was 2014. So it was like two years to really kind of somewhat figured out and then snappa was 2015 mm -hmm. um and fortunately snappa was you know we, we can tell going from failures to something that has traction on day one like you can it's it's a noticeable difference yeah, yeah. and it's it's exciting too right it's like oh my god revenue 
and yeah i i mean like i i remember in the early days we're like man if we can just do like 10 grand a month like we'll be set for life and it'll be fucking awesome and then you hit that number and then you know then you hit a million per year and then you're it's just like uh we keeps getting um surprised to the upside yeah and uh so you mentioned you work for the government canadian government correct you're you correct yeah. both in ottawa yeah we're both in canada mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so like to bring this back to Bitcoin, uh, you're say you're looking at your balance sheet, seeing that this cash is getting zero percent interest. Uh, was that what piqued your interest to to uh, start exploring Bitcoin, or was it on top of your mind before then? We've always explored the possibility of maybe even acquiring another business. You know, we've kind of built up this cash supply over the years. Um, you know, we've always had these ideas of you know, should we put this in equities should we put this in uh you know should we invest in another business you know could it be real estate we were very we were very open to all these different possibilities um you know we always came up with reasons not to do it uh so i'll i'll let gimmer take over in terms of why we chose bitcoin and i'll I'll add to those points uh, after the fact yeah um so i mean so we actually first heard of bitcoin in 2017 kind of before the run-up got really crazy. Um, I, I think the first time I bought Bitcoin personally was, I think it was trading for like 5,000 bucks or something like that. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, I didn't really do enough research at that time. So, you know, I have to confess sins here, like ended up buying Ethereum as well because it was supposed to kill Bitcoin and all that stuff. It's okay. Um, <laughs> you are forgiven. So. Yeah. So, but, so, you know, we, we had heard of Bitcoin. Um, and then, uh, but to be honest, like we're at that time, we were, we were really focused on, on the business. And so, um, fast forward to 2019, um, business is going really good. You know, we have a lot more cash flow, and just personally, we were paying ourselves a bit more money. Um, and so, you know, I've always been into like finance and investing and, uh, I kept hearing Preston Pish talk about Bitcoin. And that really piqued me interest because I was like, how is a hardcore value investor like shilling Bitcoin so hard? Like there, there's got to be something to it. Um, and then I listened to, you know, a few of the interviews that he had done. I think he, I think he actually had one with like Trace Mayer at the time. I don't know if that guy's still alive, but. Um, he's out there somewhere. Yeah, he's out there somewhere. Um, and then that's when I was like, okay, I, I need to take a closer look at this. And that's when I really went down the rabbit hole. So this would have been like towards the end of 2019. Um, and then I started, you know, buying uh, Bitcoin personally at that time. And then uh, fast forward to, uh, you know, mo- like February and March and COVID and the world's going to shit. And I kind of come to, to Mark and it was funny because he was kind of also uh, rekindling his, you know, uh, like his relationship with Bitcoin as well, like behind the scenes, like we just weren't talking about for whatever reason. And I came to him, I was like, listen, (laughs) I've been doing a lot more research on Bitcoin and I know we kind of got burned back in 2017, but like, uh, I think we really need to consider potentially buying some under the business. And he was like, it's freaking hilarious to say that because I've been kind of thinking the same thing. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, I ended up reading like the Bitcoin standard, the bullish case for Bitcoin, listening to you guys, listening to Stefan, um, all the, all the classical stuff. Um, and then we ended up 
the the first buy under the business was literally a couple days before the 50% drop. <laughs> and uh, so it was funny because it was almost like a gut check moment where it was like, do we, you know, do we really have conviction in this thing? Because our first or two, our first two buys literally dropped by 50%. And we're like, fuck it, this is probably the best opportunity. And then we, we kind of just kept buying from there. Hell yeah. You have anything to add to that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, yeah, holy shit. I mean, I think this this year really just turned everything upside down, right? Um, For me personally, once, uh, uh, you know, the big stock market crash happened, it really, and and then you have the the subsequent, you know, uh, uh, central banks just just going haywire with QE. Um, It really kind of dawned on me uh, the question of what is money? Right. And then you start to dig and you're, and I think everyone's just focused on the day-to-day lives and, you know, like Gimmer and I, like running the business, we're just so focused on building the business, growing the business. You never really stop to think about what is money. And I think that's really important. Um, and I think a lot of people don't ask that question. I think they just, you know, you fly around with this idea of, I just have to, get more money, invest my money and they never think about what's, you know, what's behind this, this dollar here. Um, especially in Canada, uh, the problem with the Canadian dollar and the problem with our economy, it's really driven by three sectors, uh, natural resource extraction, uh, the banking sector and, and real estate. And if you take a look at all three here, I mean, natural resource extraction, let's give it what 50 100 years like i'm sorry but oil is is only going to go down in terms of like you know consumption in terms of you know uh, vehicles and, and whatnot uh, you take a look at the real estate market i mean canada is probably one of the worst real estate bubbles in the world um and then the banking sector i'm not too too familiar with but again like this is really what's driving the economy here so okay so then you let's say we look at the u.s dollar uh you have a central bank that's just going haywire. Like I said, with QE, you look at their 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 balance sheet. Uh, I mean, it just it, it's unrecognizable compared to what's what's been going on in the past. So so what do you do, right? Do you put the do you buy some gold? Do you buy some uh, some scarce assets? Do you buy real estate? Um, so there's all these questions that kind of come to you, and I mean, I have so many thoughts in my head here. I can hardly form a sentence, but. Sorry, you had something. No, I was going to hop in. I was searching. Uh, I actually had Matthew Mazinkius from the Crypto Voices podcast. We we're going over his Q2 monetary base update. And Canada is number two behind Norway in annualized uh, monetary base growth at 431%. What the hell is going on up yeah, there? Yeah, if, um, if you look at the balance sheet of the Bank of Canada, it's, it's like a freaking straight line. Yeah, up. it's a straight it, line. It's, up. It's, it's like. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, when I was looking at it, I just I just can't believe it. Um, so so you take a look at what's going on here, and you look at what's really driving the economies across across the globe. Um, I mean, we all kind of know here, software is eating the world, tech eating the and tech eating the world, right? That should be the leading leading driver of a lot of these economies. Again, you look at Canada, you should, we we should be in that space, but we're not. Uh, America is really in that space. So, you know. You dig a little bit further, you kind of find out what's the next best thing, and really, it's it's Bitcoin. That's what it comes down to. 
Yeah, and it's interesting too because Bitcoin can help alleviate some of the the problems that Canada specifically is going through right now uh, in all three sectors that you just mentioned, like housing, real estate. Why is real estate so inflated right now? You have foreign nationals dumping capital into Vancouver and just holding it there, pushing up real estate prices for everybody else that lives there. Uh, Energy extraction and distribution, the government is being very strict with how people in Alberta are able to extract and, and move that oil and particularly the waste gas like we're getting a great American mining. I think Bitcoin provides a perfect incentive and mechanism to extract value from a lot of the, the gas that's being either vented or flared, uh, which can help bolster those revenue streams. And then banking, like obviously Bitcoin replaces a central bank that seems to have gone crazy. They sold all their gold, sold all of their gold and, uh, expanded their balance sheet by 400% in less than a year. It was great Absolutely. timing on on uh, the the gold uh, sale. <laughs> right? <laughs> they dumped it like right at the like the the lowest point I think too. So you take a look at gold and you think to yourself, all right, let's buy some gold, right? Cuz that's a hard asset. Scarce. Still has inflation. You know, what if there's new technology out there to uh, to mine uh, to mine more gold, you know, they're talking about mining gold and on asteroids, and a little far fetched for me, but you never know. Um, and then again, you go back to Bitcoin; it is the perfect hard asset. There is nothing harder than Bitcoin. It is the perfect representation of uh, I shouldn't really say the perfect representation of, of what gold should be on a protocol on a network. No, I agree. Even better, it's like. Yeah, even better. You think like uh, before Bitcoin, you had this perfect vision of gold uh, being a a gold standard, being a standard which wasn't bastardized by governments and centralized in vaults. And uh, ideally, you would be able to create a, a system of gold claim notes to make it uh, easier to facilitate medium of exchange transactions. But you just know the... the uh, the incentive to bastardize that system is is too strong and obviously it's happened throughout history um and no it is beautiful so how many more people like yourselves do you think are are going through this realization like again little tech startup bootstrapped uh really weren't focused on bitcoin until the conditions of the world sort of forced you to to ask the question what is money like you having questions outside of um, your person, or I think a better way to frame this is since you guys have gone public with your allocation to Bitcoin, have, have people reached out, uh, like friends, family, other businesses, you know, in Canada that are, that are more curious? Um, I started shilling my family before we, we bought under the business. So <laughs> I, I, I got, I got pretty much everyone on board, which is good. Uh, but it's funny. So after I published, uh, the article, um, uh, one person actually reached out to me and was like, hey, man, love the article, love the balls. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could do that. And I was like, oh, why not? And and he had raised some funding and he goes, yeah, you know, I just there's no way that the board would would go for it. Um, and then I actually had maybe two or three other people that were just kind of asking more um I guess operational questions because they're like, yeah, well, I actually thought about doing this, but you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. And so I was kind of just, you know, answering a few of their questions. So I have no idea to the extent or how many uh, are out there. Um, but 
I mean, at least from the handful of interactions, it does seem that people are, are thinking about it for sure. I mean, I hope that uh, the article written by Chris really gets around the small business community. It would be a tremendous help for them to at least hold some percentage, you know, of their cash and Bitcoin on the balance sheet. Uh, that's kind of the goal here. I like to think we're leading the way in terms of like, you know, sharing that vision and sharing that goal. Because uh, really, I mean, it's the best way to to hold the value of your time, your effort, your energy that you poured into this business, right? Yeah. And nah, I'm extremely encouraged to see people like yourselves coming around to this realization as somebody who's been screaming about Bitcoin since 2012 when I was working at a a fund following central bankers like these people don't have any idea what they're doing and luckily for me like i was asking that question what the hell is money and like why do we use it early on it's because i was forced to having to follow these central bank tea leaves and uh throughout the years there's always that lingering dot in the back of your head like am i fucking crazy like does this even make sense like am i just some nut so i mean as we move further into 2020 and this decade it is uh becoming clear that i'm not as crazy as I used to think I was. No, and I think I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think I hope more people start asking that question, uh, really going down the rabbit hole of what is money. It's a really important question. People just don't realize how important it is. Um, you know, and and I have to add, like now's the time. Um, if you really understand Bitcoin, if you really do want to go down that rabbit hole, like now is the time to front run all these corporations, these wealthy individuals. And finally, eventually, I would assume central banks, uh, you know, getting in um, on this on this asset before they all do, and really reaping the benefits of it long term. Yeah, so I think one of go ahead, Chris. Sorry, yeah, I was just gonna say I think one of the really interesting things when it comes to Bitcoin is just how much it's been de-risked um, since 2017. So, you know, the number one knock is always like, oh, governments are gonna ban it. Um, even just within the last like six months where you know kraken got a um, a bank license like the occ um you know uh, fidelity and all these american institutions are now custodying it microstrategy putting 450 million dollars of bitcoin on their balance sheet um so it's it's become very clear that you know the regulatory um from at least from a regulatory standpoint like it, it's getting less and less likely that it's going to be banned especially as more uh, corporations and, and, you know, wealthy individuals start, um, owning it, um, you know, on the, on the, the, the protocol risk. I mean, it's been, it's been running for what, 10, 10 years now, 11 years. So like all of these risks, um, and especially, oh, and then I guess the other one was always like, oh, there's going to be another Bitcoin. There's going to be a better Bitcoin. Well, you know, just look at all everyone who's hard for Bitcoin and, and look at where, where their market cap is co- compared to Bitcoin. So, um, all of the major knocks on it and, and the, the major risks, I think, um, you know, the arguments are get against it. Um, they're just, uh, they're not nearly as strong as they were, let's call it three years ago. Um, and so, you know, me personally, I think if I'm being very honest with myself, if, you know, even if I had heard about Bitcoin in like 2012 or 2013, I don't think I would have had like the balls to put the amount of money that we have put into it now. Um, whereas in 2020, it's uh, I, I just have a lot of a lot more confidence that uh, this this is the right decision. Yeah, it's a very good point. It is, and it's a very common 
uh, line that you hear about Bitcoin is it just it just has to survive. The longer it survives, the more confident people become in it. It's a crazy positive feedback loop that just keeps building block by block. And uh, to think that that's going to stop anytime soon doesn't really make any sense. It's only going to get stronger, uh, especially considering what you just mentioned. The, the further Bitcoin gets entrenched with individual citizens and now businesses, it just becomes harder and harder to stop. And so do you guys see a wave of similar actors like yourself, small businesses getting into this big corporations like MicroStrategy? Um, it, I, I, Cause me personally, I think in the next three months, we're going to hear a lot of big announcements of, of people getting into this. I think it's interesting. I think you have to make a significant uh, personal investment of your time to really understand it all. Right. And unless, and there's a lot of people that just aren't willing to do that. They're just so hyper-focused on what's in front of them and they don't ask the bigger questions. So I, I do agree with uh, that there will be more of these kind of moves into Bitcoin from big corporation standpoint, and maybe, maybe from small business as well. But unless you're really willing to make that commitment and really understand how the network, how the protocol works, um, you know, what it's been through its history, all the kind of minutia, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people will get left behind when it comes down to it. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, I I think um, at a bare minimum, I think 2020 is going to force, hopefully, uh, you know, I think it's forcing people to question their assumptions, right? I, I think like a lot of long held beliefs have been completely uh, turned upside down in, in 2020. So I think at a bare minimum, as, as more and more companies start to trickle in with these kinds of announcements, I think it's going to cause more people to question it. Um, I, I think Bitcoin is the greatest network effect that like we have ever seen. And I think it's just going to build up like crazy, as you say. Um, I think once it hits the 20K all time high, I think that's when you're going to start to see the flood because, um, you know, people, the, like an average outsider just pulls up a chart and they say, oh, like it was at 20K, like it's only 10K, like this thing's dead, right? But they don't understand that it was at 20K for like a day um, and if that, you know, yeah. if, if that, yeah. So, whereas like, if you look at a log chart or what I, um, what I look to look at is, you know, the 200 week moving average, it's just, it just keeps going up. Right. So that like those charts tell a very different story. Um, but once it hits the all time high, then you're going to get all the mainstream media, um, and, and a bit of like the frenzy. Um, and I think then people are really going to start to question like, I thought this thing was dead. How is it back to all time highs? Yeah, and that's been my question since 2017. Like how many more of these manias do we have before people just accept like, all right, it's here, it's not going anywhere. It's time to get considerable skin in the game. Uh, like, do we have another 2017 blow off top and then 80% crash? I'm not so convinced that these cycles are gonna repeat as severely not as forever. they yeah. Not yeah. forever, yeah. Not forever, yeah. Um, so what is that critical mass is, uh, is always the lingering question in my mind. Um, just ranting here. Uh, but if you guys don't mind me asking, just get into mechanics of how you actually allocated a Bitcoin. Uh, what was, 
do you have uh, just a business account at exchange or are you self-custodying again if any of these questions are um stepping out of the line you don't feel like answering feel free to uh pass but just really curious and i bet there's some freaks out there running businesses that are curious as well um if they're looking to do this yeah so we have a business account at uh at an exchange um and then we um self-custody via multi-sig um so we um you know started out with just kind of daily buys uh, we had kind of like a, a number in mind that we want to get to and so we just kept allocating daily weekly um and now we're just essentially doing like weekly buys um to you know further that position man that's very encouraging self-custody multi-sig uh does that stress you guys out at all not really no no i mean it's the most secure way to, to store your coins really so we checked and double checked yeah. um <laughs> we uh, i mean like like at the end of the day i i feel safer having our reserves in, in bitcoin than leaving it in in a fiat bank account to sit there and rot uh, and that that's honestly the conclusion that i've kind of come to personally so uh, i i sleep better at night now to be honest i agree and you think about what's going on in the world too with capital control across all these different countries and all these kind of restrictions with with capital and then you know uh and you take a look at bitcoin and its permissionless nature uh yeah i mean i definitely sleep better at night knowing that our cash reserves um, part of our cash reserves are in bitcoin now it's fascinating because they're i got to not me personally i was part of a thread uh, of a big debate about whether or not uh, businesses and publicly traded corporations should self-custody and the uh, the consensus in that particular thread was like no not yet not yet like the corporate governance uh, coordination alone uh, is too too risky at the moment like how are you going to trust employees to handle keys and so hearing that you guys are doing self-custody multi-sig is like wow that's uh against what that consensus was in that particular conversation with people who uh, are very intimately in touch with what's going on in Bitcoin and custody particularly. So it's uh, fascinating to hear a first, first person story about how you guys are doing it. Yeah, I mean, again, I would, like... I would, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so, you know, like, again, Mark and I are, you know, 50-50 partners. We don't have board directors. We don't have outside of investors. So at least from, like, a um, governance standpoint, it's, it's much easier for us because... Uh, you know, like we, we don't have, it's just, it's just a different ball game for us. So I, I guess I can see from like much larger corporations, it's just, uh, it's a bit of a different ball game. Uh, but it, it, it is cool to see, like I saw Unchained Capital is working on like a product to make it much, um, I guess, safer and easier uh, if there are, you know, outside uh, or, you know, people on the board or more than, or more than one shareholder um, to kind of, I guess with the key management and stuff like that, but yeah, I'm sure this will be a, an ongoing debate. Um, I don't know if you what you, what you were going to say, Mark. Oh no, I was just going to say as long as you understand the risks and and your um, and your and you have a geographically dispersed multi-sig setup, uh, I don't know how much more secure you'll you'll get than that. Uh, well, you know, like Gimmer said, we have a very different um, organizational setup with us just being 50 50 partners here in the business so 
it might not work out in terms of, you know, if you've got like a big board of directors and how they want to handle things. But uh, if you're a small business, I would highly encourage you to do exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And yeah, maybe small businesses are more advantaged in this, this regard, uh, which is like here. Yeah. The, uh, the LLC that we run here at TFTC, we self custody our stuff as well. And I feel I sleep much better at night knowing that. Um, I know that for sure. And it's, uh, damn, man. How, so how's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because yeah. you realize how much bigger it can get among this kind of community. And they're not on Bitcoin Twitter, <laughs> right? Like, they're not there. So I don't know how, how you get to them exactly. Um, but, I mean, that's exactly why like, Christopher wrote his piece there. Um, I hope it's insightful and, and other small businesses really take a look at that article and kind of go, aha, maybe we should do the same. Yeah, so if- it's funny. Oh, sorry. It was, it's funny because like a lot of um, it, it's just kind of like what I what I've been seeing on Twitter and stuff like everyone kind of assumed that it was going to be like, you know, the retail adoption first. Then it was going to be the, the hedge funds and the institutions. And then suddenly it was going to be the, the central banks. And it seems like everyone forgot about corporations uh, and, and even myself, like I, I just kind of, and so I think the, the micro strategy thing and, you know, uh, to a much smaller extent, like companies like us, um, it kind of, I, I think people are realizing there's this whole other amazing use case for Bitcoin of, you know, treasury uh, reserves. Um, and, you know, as long as we're in this current environment, uh, it's going to do a much better job than, you know, cash or nothing percent T bills. So, yeah, and for Bitcoin, the network, it's a much, uh, much better path, right? Because it's more distributed from a supply perspective when you have millions of small businesses holding it instead of a few hedge funds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, the revolution of the small businesses. So, you guys mentioned Bitcoin Twitter, and obviously, Gimmer. I'm going to start calling you Gimmer. It seems like that's the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's been my nickname uh, for a while. So, yeah. Uh, I don't even I don't even call him Chris. I don't even know he had a first name. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that... Uh, uh, I mean, Bitcoin Twitter obviously ran with your piece and spread it to the world. But outside of Bitcoin Twitter, have you had any traction sharing this information? You guys have a newsletter or a... Um, a What's the word I'm looking for? A a marketing avenue through which you're pushing this? Um, not really. I just I I kind of just well. So I have a like a personal website, but I only have a few articles on there, and it's mostly just like a fun thing. Like I don't you know go out of my way to try to market or collect emails aggressively or anything like that. Uh, our, our our business has always been the main focus. But you know, one of the goals for writing that article was something that I could pass to friends and family um, just because uh, some people have been asking me more about it um, and, and friends and, you know, you kind of get into debates and stuff. So it, it's nice to have something that I can literally just send them and say, these are my thoughts. You know, th- this is my thesis. If you have questions, uh, kind of let me know. Um, but yeah, I was like super pleasantly surprised with um, the reception to that article on, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I haven't really, gone too much out of my way to promote beyond that but i saw that you know someone had put it on uh some of the bitcoin subreddits and and whatnot so it, it definitely seems like it got uh shared around yeah hey, i mean you're orange pilling people with high quality information uh, that's why i love the flat and that's it's very fascinating how 
the iteration of content over the years has grown. So like, very similarly, I started the newsletter because I was like uh, getting text emails. I was like, you know what? Stop texting me. Stop emailing. Stop calling me. Just follow the newsletter. I'll give you like a little piece of Bitcoin information every day. Uh, but seeing your piece with everything consolidated one, I'm like, damn, I should have just done something like that instead of having to write every fucking day. <laughs> We we appreciate the daily newsletter, man. I was going to say, I disagree. I disagree. I, I enjoy the daily newsletter. There's very few <laughs> newsletters where I'll read every single one, and, and yours yeah. is one of them. So uh, keep, yeah. keep doing what you're doing, man. I appreciate yeah, man. it. Um, uh, I wasn't fishing for any compliments there, but <laughs> just from a logistics perspective, it's a, a lot less effort. But again, it's a, trying to uh, highlight how well done your piece is and the information that you included uh, wide-ranging uh, information on Bitcoin, obviously bullish case of Bitcoin, talking about the Bitcoin standard, and then pulling in uh, U.S. Treasury yields and Preston Pish's um, sort of perspective on it, and then getting into a reserve asset, explaining why you guys have it on your balance sheet. It's very concise, flows well, and logically just uh, grows on the information as you walk through it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so do you guys think about implementing... Bitcoin into your company into Snappa in any way? Um, I mean, so we like so Snappa is a subscription basis, so mm -hmm. it's like it's a freemium model, so you can use it for free up to certain limits, um, and then the the premium plans are on a subscription. So we we hook into Stripe. Um, to my knowledge, I don't I don't think they accept Bitcoin payments uh, at this point, but they used to, and then they reverted that decision or something like that. Yeah, they exactly. they took it out for some reason. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess our, at least our current thinking is, you know, earn in fiat and save in, in Bitcoin. <laughs> That's kind of how, how, uh, how we're implementing that. Um, I haven't thought too much about how to incorporate Bitcoin more into Snappa, but um, yeah, the, that, that's kind of what we're doing for now, I guess. One off, one off uses instead of a subscription. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't want to tell you <laughs> how to run your business. Um, that's fascinating. So do you guys have ambitions beyond Snappa? Do you, do you see this turning into a business that'll be on cruise control one day and you guys will go on and, and build something else? Obviously you've built many products in the past. Uh, the, the thirst for, for new building get quenched once you build a successful company? No, um, I think, geez, I'm, I'm not going to get into detail about what's been going on behind the scenes over the past few years, but um, it would be certainly nice to diversify our revenue streams. So we're look, we're always looking for new opportunities. Um, quite frankly, I love building shit. I love building cool shit. It's super fun to build something, put it out there for the world to see, hopefully gets traction and whatnot. So um I'm going to preface this with uh, really appreciate with Clark, what Clark Moody's done with his dashboard. You know, we get a lot of value from that, um, but we want to take it one step further. We'd actually like to build like a Bitcoin dashboard with all the historical stats and, and everything in, in place, um, completely free uh, for everyone to use, kind of uh, and take a look at the, you know, whether it be hash rate, whether it be price, whether it be difficulty, et cetera, uh, without having to go into all these different websites um and you know some of these other sites are kind of questionable like you know i'm not, not going to name them all out right now but uh so it, it would be nice to kind of have something like that in place so like a really comprehensive bitcoin dashboard bitbo.io that's the one yeah uh, what uh what's what's the name uh the uh, impetus for the name bitbo i like that a lot 
Nothing. Uh, really, I just tried to find something that kind of came close to Bitcoin. And, you know, uh, Matt O'Dell's been scooping up all the fucking domains. So, you know, I can't, uh, can't buy anything these days. God damn. Between him and, Matt, and, if, and Matt, Sailor, if you, like, yeah. Yeah, Matt, if you own Bitbo.com, please, uh, please sell it to us. <laughs> uh. So, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of the... Uh, that's kind of the idea so far. There's no landing page. There's nothing up there. I've completely kind of negated what's up there currently, but it's a work in progress, and uh, hopefully we can launch something soon. Yeah, that's fascinating. No, I, I as somebody who writing the newsletters, jumping from data aggregator to data aggregator, I would like uh, everything to be consolidated in one place. Clark's dashboard has definitely been extremely helpful. Um, and oh, huge shout out to Clark. I mean, like his dashboard's great. It just gives you like a really good live picture of what's going on. But we'd like to get a, a little bit beyond that and have a really, you know, historical picture of what's happened in the past versus now. It really shows a, a real true story, right? You look at hash rate, you look at how secure the network is now looking at the hash rate. I mean, it's just fascinating, right? And if you really understand what goes on, you know, in, in terms of like that calculation, the energy behind um, the network, it's just... It's mind-blowing when you really understand that. Yeah. Bitcoin has contracted out humans to keep it alive and strengthen it. It's pretty crazy. Um, Mark, I see you're tweeting. You think Bitcoin needs more documentaries. Why is this? There's not enough. Sorry, what's that? I didn't hear you. I saw you tweeted out, uh, was it earlier today? Yeah, an hour ago. Yeah, it was today. There needs to be more Bitcoin documentaries. I'd love to see more Bitcoin documentaries. All the ones I've seen out there are kind of so-so, um, you know, or maybe even a series, a yearly series of what's going on in, in the Bitcoin world and the Bitcoin space. Um, yeah, it'd be cool to see. I mean, I think there's just so much going on behind the scenes and there's so much secrecy in the mining space and all this kind of like different facets of, of, of the Bitcoin world. It's, uh, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it would give people a bit more appreciation um, if we had some, again, I, I'm not saying this is a must, but, you know, having some investigative journalism kind of go into um, the different facets, everything from, you know, uh, trading that like OTC uh, exchanges, mining, uh, you know, companies, you know, and Michael Saylor, and us, obviously. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> uh, just going into all these different facets and why people are committing their time and their energy to to the bitcoin network right yeah now it's uh it is fascinating actually we've been approached at great american mining by a documentary team i think we're going to do something with them so you'll get more insight into mining particularly on oil and gas fields uh, hopefully we i'm excited we still have to confirm if we're doing that or not um uh so it seems like we're at very very early stages of a revolution, right? We're born at this weird inflection point where uh, everything's extremely chaotic at the moment, particularly here in the United States and arguably Canada as well. COVID's really uh, thrown fuel on the fire, the chaos that exists in our world due to the transition into the information age, the internet and communications technology that has been created in its wake and now Bitcoin. And so how do you how do you guys view this geopolitically, especially as Canadians, um, with a government that seems to be uh, more and more overbearing by the day, uh, do you see Bitcoin as an integral part of a liberation of the individual in the digital age? 
One of the reasons I've never put too much stock into the governments are going to ban Bitcoin argument is just because it's a digital age. Um, it's it's it we're you know we're living in a, a global society, so I think any government that comes down on Bitcoin is really going to pay for it in the end. Um, so I almost see Bitcoin as like a check on governments. Um, and I think if they stray too far, uh, you know, my hope is that Bitcoin will kind of like keep them grounded uh, to a certain point. Um, you know, there's a lot of people like mine. Um, and now that we're you know, self-custodying Bitcoin, we can hop on a plane, memorize 12 words and, you know, end up in another jurisdiction. And so, um, you know, if you kind of follow the sovereign individual thesis, uh, I, I think at a bare minimum, whether it gets to like, you know, the, the predictions in the book, um, but, but I hope that Bitcoin does uh, serve as that check on, you know, just how far uh, governments can push things. I would agree with all of those points. Um, I, I there's a lot of doom and gloom, I guess I should say, on uh, especially on Bitcoin Twitter. And I hope it doesn't get to that point. I'm guilty of it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm more. Uh, I like to have a bit more of a positive outlook on things. I hope I'm bullish on humans, so I hope it doesn't get to that point. Um, you know, in, in dire situations, we, we tend to help each other out as a whole. Uh, so I, I really don't have anything to add here, except for really just save your money, save your time and put it in Bitcoin. Really, it's just the ultimate way to, to store your, your, your value. Yeah. Um, and I think that it'll really protect against, uh, you know, these nefarious politicians that just keep spending and these central banks that keep printing money and devaluing your currency. Well, that's why one. I... Uh, God, sorry, I keep doing that. Uh, well, one last thing, I, I can't remember who tweeted this out, but someone was saying like, um, you know, when Michael Saylor, when they bought like four hundred fifty million dollars of Bitcoin, like everyone was like happy about it and cheering it on, and it kind of is like a testament of like everyone's on the same, everyone's on a level playing field with Bitcoin. Um, whether you're stacking, you know, a dollar a day on cash app or you're putting $450 million, like we're all kind of in this together. And that's what I love so much about Bitcoin is that, um, we're all on the same team. Right. And so I think, um, you know, just as far as like humanity and doom and gloom, uh, I, I think like that is one of the most underestimated things about Bitcoin is that we're, we're all in this together. We all want, we all want a brighter future. Um, so that, that, that makes me hopeful and, and bullish. Yeah, me as well. The eternal optimist comes out of me every once in a while. And that's, we've come too far to fuck it up at this point, right? And uh, Bitcoin, again, like I was very pessimistic before Bitcoin. Like, ah, this is all fucked. This is all going to shit. And now Bitcoin does provide that uh, the guiding light, if you will, to to lead us to, to brighter days and a world that has become uh, a little off kilter. And that's why I wanted to have you guys on because I think it's extremely encouraging uh, that individuals and small businesses are adopting Bitcoin because again, it, it's hard to uh, it's hard to negate the fact that Bitcoin is helping out individuals and uh, small businesses in the economy when when they're adopting it and saying, "Hey, I want this." Like how 
uh, 11 years into this technology existing could governments in mass around the world say no it's not going to happen you can't do that yeah and we're so early too right so really in a matter of uh i mean i don't think we're going to see any sort of um level of discussion that a goal is at up until maybe 10 20 years from now um i mean this is just a bullshit prediction but that's kind of my thought on it so yeah i mean i, I would agree and i think you know whether you have like like gamer said whether you're you're you're, you're stacking ten dollars at a time 200 200 dollars at a time or 425 million dollars at a time we're all on the same team i think a lot of this unnecessary infighting has to stop really. and uh there needs to be a bit more optimism yeah it's hard though when you look at the united states you have two gentlemen in their 80s who uh who <laughs> um that's politicians though that's a right? whole different ball game i mean they're 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 not on the same level well, so right? this gets to a good point right uh <clears throat> and it ties into needing more people to ask the question what the hell is money it just feels like especially when you're dedicated to bitcoin and understand bitcoin and, and focused on the bitcoin network uh you sort of you take the orange pill you're like oh my god everybody fighting outside of this is completely swinging at branches and that's so the thing that dismays me is the the false framing of the quote-unquote problems that are driving inequality today are, are just it's bad framing people are again swinging at branches and focusing on uh what i would deem actually not the most important problems which is red team no it's a distraction team. yeah it's a complete distraction to to really uh, keep people's minds off the true problems of society, right? So yeah, that's it's just what it finger comes down pointing, to. really. Yeah, yeah. No, like you said earlier in the episode, you guys evidence of this COVID and the reaction to it from the pol political class and the um, regulatory class and expert class is probably a better better definition for regulatory class. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. It's like, what the fuck, man. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I, I always kind of default to, like, you can't, I think you've said this on the pod many times before, like, you can't centrally plan complex systems, right? Um, and it just seems like the more they try to do it, the more out of whack it gets, and then the prescription is to keep doing more of that. And at some point, you just got to say, like, what the fuck? Like, this just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's a natural entropy to that centralized, attempt at centralized control of these complex systems. That's, it's going to... Uh, it's gonna the end game's gonna come at some point like you can't you can't expand your monetary base by 431 percent year on year for too long before uh before people go like hey, this doesn't make any fucking sense i mean yep fucking dave portnoy calling the u.s dollar shrew bucks <laughs> like oh uh, that's good yeah. i mean you look at real estate prices you ask your parents what'd you buy your house for and there's your answer right Dude. it's that simple and I remember, I have this very vivid memory when I lived in Northeast Philly before we moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I was like nine years old. We were out in our stoop, and uh, my mom and our neighbors were talking about like another neighbor had sold their house, and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we got sixty thousand dollars for that." I was like, if you, <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> "Right, you try to buy a house for sixty thousand dollars anywhere in Philly, you're you're gonna get like nothing." 
And you're yeah, going to tell me that that inflation is 2%. Right. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know? it, it's crazy because like Ottawa, um, you know, our, our real estate market has always been like decent, but never, you know, like Toronto and Vancouver kind of standards. Um, and then, you know, the last year or two has been pretty crazy. And then after and, you know, a couple of um, friends, uh, my fiance's friends, they've been looking for a house and, you know, just graduating from college and stuff like that. And every house they put an offer on, they're getting outbid by like 80 grand. Um, and it's, it's, it's just crazy. Like, how is a young person coming out of school supposed to afford a house and come up with this crazy high down payment, right? Um, sure, the mortgage payments are low. But if you don't have the money to come up with the down payment, you're basically priced out of the market. Um, you know, the people that have houses, they're, you know, they're fine and dandy. But, you know, I, I, I really feel bad for young people um, trying to buy a house right now. Like, it's Yeah, it's crazy. I worry about the younger generations for sure. Yeah. But, no, I mean, somebody moved out of Brooklyn was paying an astronomical amount for rent of a fucking studio uh i'm very happy to be and fortunate very happy that i am fortunate enough to be able to lay low rent free in my in-laws house um save money so that we can buy a house i mean and i'm then we're gonna stay here longer than originally expected because everybody's buying up all the houses in the places we want to live driving up prices astronomically i heard we were talking yesterday about one house in the town we want to live in uh in april was worth um x amount and today it's worth 75 percent more than it was priced yeah, in april that's insane. you have all, that's insane. all the new yorkers moving out of the city and just bidding up the price exactly what you were describing earlier gimmer yeah um my uh my wife and i uh, bought our new house about a year almost two years now two years ago um <laughs> just to give you an idea of how crazy the real estate market is i had to sleep in my car in minus 40 degree weather which is sorry that's celsius I'm not, i think it's about the same fahrenheit at that point yes uh, i believe yeah. yeah i think there's a crossover point right for two nights just to line up and this is a new build right just just to get the house uh we just sold our our current house actually yesterday uh congrats for seventy thousand. thank you for seventy thousand dollars over asking which is just insane here like the we're so used to this kind of market here in Ottawa where you list your house at X and you usually get offers a little bit, you know, under that, right? Um, this, you know, QE, low interest rate um, scenario has just blown price discovery out of control. And this is the other thing that comes down to, right? What these central banks are doing, um, they're just, they're, they're, you're getting the wrong price signals in the markets here. That combined with, of course, like COVID and people moving out of big cities and whatnot, uh, it's an absolute shit show. Yeah. Were you talking about price signals this time last year? No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another thing. Like, so you said it's a big time investment, but is it really a big time investment to learn about Bitcoin? Like, is the opportunity cost of not investing that time that much you know greater? I think it is. I think it comes down to people's willingness to learn. You know, there's just so many people out there. You kind of start having the conversation and you can tell they put up a wall. Uh, whereas you have other individuals that just have a natural curiosity and they're willing to learn. They're willing to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, so I think those people that have that natural curiosity and really ask the hard questions are, are going to benefit long term. 
I mean, for me personally, like, you know, when I started hearing Preston talk about it, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And, you know, then read the Bitcoin standard and, and then like, I just couldn't get enough Bitcoin content. Like I certainly didn't view it as like, uh, you know, a time, well, it was a time investment, but like I enjoyed the, the time I spent learning, you know, Mark's obviously the same way, but kind of like Mark's alluding to, unfortunately, not everyone is like that. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, the people that are curious and, and do, you know, have that willingness to learn, um, you know, I, a lot of people have gone down the rabbit hole. There's going to be a, plenty of a lot more. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's wishful thinking to think that like everyone is going to, you know, spend, some people don't even want to read a single blog post or listen to a, a single podcast episode. And, um, but, uh, I guess, I guess that's where, uh, you know, the price will kind of lure those people into it. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. Number go up technology is, is the best, uh, the best lure for yeah. getting people to Bitcoin. Exactly. Ah, uh, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Do you have, uh, anything else you want to get off your chest as it pertains to Bitcoin, what you guys are doing at snap, uh, state of the world, anything. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a difficult time. It's, it's hard to be positive when a lot of people are, you know, losing their jobs or getting sick or, you know, constrained by whatever, by governments. Like if you, if you have a small business or like a restaurant, for example, uh, feel for those people, but, um, maybe the, uh, the world needs to go through a little bit of pain to understand, you know, what's really going on. I hope more people ask that, that those hard questions. Um, but when it comes to Bitcoin, I'm, I'm bullish as fuck, man. This is, this is, this, we're just getting started. We're, we haven't seen anything yet. I'm so fucking bullish. It's crazy. All my, no equities on my plate anymore. Just hundred percent in on Bitcoin on the personal side. So if anyone's having second, second thoughts, just come talk to me. Boss. <laughs> yeah. For me, um, one of the most exciting times in my life was when we, both quit the government and and started our business and just the the, the freedom um just actually making a difference instead of pushing papers um you know it was just we have so like so many good memories and um bitcoin is like the only thing that that i've been so excited about um uh, in kind of the same way we're like just devouring through content and you know my podcast speed is just it's it's hard to keep up with it um so I, i'm just excited like i'm just so excited about um how the you know the space is developing and bullish as fuck as well <laughs> i too am bullish as fuck and mark to your point like i do think the world needs a little kick in the ass i've gotten too fucking complacent i'm sitting in the fattest fucking country in the world <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know what? Hopefully, Bitcoin can help people lower their time preference, fix their diets, and and save the monetary yeah. system. Yeah, that, that's that's something I need to uh, to start working on, especially with uh, the two kids. I don't want to, you know, die prematurely or anything. I think a lot of people need to hear that message too. Right, Chris, you, your gimmer, excuse me, you posted something. Yeah, you <laughs> you, uh, you whipped yourself into shape. Did I see that? Yeah, it's uh, so funny. I'm actually my next article is going to be about that. So, but um, I, I, yeah, in my twenties, I've I was always in pretty good shape and stayed active, but kind of just lost my way a little bit at one point and kind of yeah, whipped my ass into shape last year. And 
Oh, sorry, we missed that last part. You cut out. A yeah, bit. I missed that last part. You whipped your ass into shape. I was gonna say, yeah, I, I whipped my ass uh, back into shape last year, and, and I'm not not gonna go back. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I teeter on the edge. I can fluctuate like 20 pounds within a given six months. Uh, I, I uh, sounds like me. I am, uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm at that point where I'm like, all right, I've been a degenerate this summer. I, I'm surfing a lot, luckily, which has helped uh, curb me getting too fat. But I need to drink less and work out more as we head into fall just uh just gotta put it out there weed has zero calories this is true this is true mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. and zero carbs which is the most important part eat, <laughs> eat less carbs freaks uh yeah gentlemen thank you it's been a pleasure great conversation far-ranging uh thank you for doing what you do to push uh bitcoin on small business balance sheets forward the again gamer of the piece you wrote is incredible mark uh, i'm very excited to see what you guys build with bitbo.io matt if you got.com uh, share the wealth and uh yeah that's all we got this week freaks i'm actually going to post this uh right away i think you know what fuck it yolo <laughs> thanks for having us marty it was, it was awesome thank you. chatting with you uh, uh thank you guys peace and love Ta-kay.